Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. If you'll open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 17. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, and in them you also walked, when you were living in them. But now you also Put them aside. Anger, wrath, malice, and abusive speech from your mouths. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the new self, who is being renewed in a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, barbarian, free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing of one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now if you bow your heads and pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts of everyone here. Have everything that I say and teach here and preach on. I pray that it is in accord with your word and that it edifies your people. And that I don't just preach mere opinion, but your truth. Give me boldness and faithfulness, Lord. I pray all this in your name. Amen.
About 2,500 years ago, there was this dude named Protagoras. And he is famous for saying this. Man is the measure of all things. Of the things that are, that they are. Of the things that are not, that they are not. I don't think I've ever heard a more succinct statement of the American philosophy than I did whenever I was taking class at GPTS this year. That's something that we as Americans generally clasp. If if I can't know it by myself, then it's not true. So we live in a a time of uh, relativism. But really, this philosophy goes back to the serpent in the garden. And it's been a problem that's been plaguing us since the beginning of time. Uh, So what did the serpent do? Well, the serpent convinced Eve that God wasn't enough. She needed to look to herself to to, to, uh, to determine what she needed to gain knowledge. So rather than listening to God on the one hand, gaining wisdom, truth, goodness, she chose to disobey God and seek her own things. So Protagoras simply worked out a system of thought that represented what went all the way back to the garden. The theological term for this is the autonomy of man. And Paul talks about this, and so does it, it's also mentioned in the Old Testament. So in Romans, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish in their hearts, or, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for things, images resembling mortal man, for birds, animals, and creeping things. And in Judges, we get this same summary. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If this is how the natural man thinks, the wicked man, how ought the Christian to think? Well, it's certainly not to follow their example. The Westminster Shorter Catechism helps us here a little bit. It gives us a good guiding principle. What is the chief end of man? Well, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's actually why I like the Westminster over the Heidelberg, because it's God-centered. Well, here in Colossians, we have a letter from Paul to the Church of Colossae, which revolves around Christ's preeminence. What is preeminence? Well, preeminence means, according to uh, Webster's Dictionary, uh, something of superior, uh, superiority and excellence. A distinction in something commendable, something that has a superior in power and influence, something that's precedent or a priority of place, superior in rank or dignity. And all three of those things really hit home who Christ is. In, in Colossians, it can be divided up into three sections. Uh, Chapter 1 is Christ's preeminence declared. 
So we see that in, we see Christ in his glory described in the cross. We see Christ in his glory described in creation. And that's actually, it's in Colossians 1. We have a very good description of what I'm talking about. And this is Colossians 1, 15 through, uh, until I stop. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so that's really where Paul's going with this epistle. The next section, chapter 2, is Christ's preeminence defended. And we see that in Paul talking about how empty the philosophies of the world are. And we can see that in Protagoras. Protagoras said that man is the measure of all things. So he's looking to himself rather than the creator. We all look pretty good whenever we look at ourselves. You don't have the right standard. And then uh, Paul also discusses uh, legalism. We can't do it on our own. So where we're going here tonight, we're going to be addressing uh, Christ's preeminence displayed, how Christ works preeminently through us. And so chapter 3 sets us up for what we're talking about. So as Christians, we are to seek after, to pursue with all effort, the glory of God. So in verse 1, we have, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So we've seen what the natural man seeks after. He seeks after the things of the world. He seeks after, uh, he compares himself to the world, to earthly things. He doesn't compare himself, he doesn't consider the things of of heaven. So if, if we are united with Christ, then we have to reorient our life. We can't think like we used to. We have to think anew. And many times, as I read in verse 3, you see that with the renewing of your mind, being renewed in the spirit, uh, coming to a true knowledge. So we have to reorient our life. Matthew Henry helps us here. He's one of my favorite Puritan pastor, or pastors. and, and uh, He was a uh, Presbyterian. Uh, he's got a really great commentary and a great book on prayer. I could keep talking about him, but I'm going to stop. But uh, so Matthew Henry here, he says on this, we must mind the concerns of another world more than the concerns of this world. We must make heaven our scope and our aim. Seek the favor of God above. Keep our communion and our, with the upper world by faith, hope, and holy love and make it our constant care and business to secure our title to and qualification for heavenly bliss. So think about this for a moment. What's the first thing that you think of whenever you wake up 
before your feet even hit the floor? Is it, oh, I need coffee? Or is it, I need to, I need to get motivated and I need to seek Christ in his glory? In verse 2, Paul here tells us to set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. So we need to keep our mind on Christ. He is the goal. One of the things that uh, my professor, Dr. McGraw, talked about in Reformed spirituality was uh, this debate that happens over communion, whether it's symbolic, whether it, the substance turns into the literal blood and body of Christ. <clears throat> and Calvin's position, which is that it's, Christ is really present, but it doesn't turn into, it's not magical and it's not just symbolic. His comment was, and it's most pertinent here, if Christ isn't in the elements, then why do you want it? So if Christ isn't the goal, why are you doing it? So 1 Peter 3.15a, you know, but sanctify, the, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. He is our captain. We are his soldiers. We need to mind the things that our captain tells us to do. He is our goal. Matthew Henry again. To seek heavenly things is to set our affections upon them. To love them and let our desires be towards them. Upon the wings of affection, the heart soars upward and is carried forth towards spiritual and divine objects. We must acquaint ourselves with them, esteem them above all things, and lay, ourselves, lay out ourselves in preparation for the enjoyment of them. David in Psalm 27 talks about, I have one thing I have asked from the Lord that I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. That's his desire. That's his, he thirsts for that. He thirsts for God. Romans 8, for the mind is set again on the flesh, is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So what is your motivation for the day? Are you motivated by a desire for Christ? For his glory? For his kingdom? For you have, in verse 3, Paul writes, For you have died, and your life is hidden with God. Everything about us in our sinful misery has been literally nailed to the cross. If we are in him... We have died to the world, as, Galatians, as Paul writes in Galatians. But may it never be that I boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Do you realize that you are in Christ, and the old man has been put to death. Verse 4. 
when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. For the Christian, Christ is our whole life. He is the air we breathe. As Paul in Galatians writes, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life with which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Philippians, Christ, Paul talks about Christ this way. For, me t- for to me, to live is Christ. In the Greek, there is no is at all. It's just, for me to live, Christ! That's how much. It, it's a, For him, it's an, obs- an obsession in a good way. It's the thing that occupies his mind. So do you consider your life as Paul does his? Is Christ your life? Or is your religion something less? Think about that. I have to think about that constantly. So what does this look like? What does this whole setup look like? Well, Paul continues in verses uh, 3 through 11, or 5 through 11. Therefore, consider your members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So what does that mean? Consider your members dead. Matthew Henry helps us a little here. Though we are made free from the obligation of the ceremonial law, it does not therefore follow that we may live as we want. We must more closely, we must walk more, the more closely with God in all instances of evangelical obedience. So th- think about John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. What is that? It's unusual language for us. But all four of these are words that are related to an array of unlawful, illicit behavior and activity. So just think about, you turn the TV on. You have cable, what do you see? Friends is all about hookup culture. So, what's Paul talking about here? Well, Paul's addressing the church and their problems with illicit behavior. They're not keeping their eye on the prize. They're keeping their eye on the earth and on worldly passions. So, today, uh, I did some research on illicit behavior and desire. And some of the things that I found were pretty shocking, but to me, sort of, kind of, not really. But 68% of church-going men and 50% of pastors regularly search, do, do searches for things of this nature. Young people, 18 to 24, 76% of them actively pursue it. 
not just online, but also in their personal lives. So consider your earthly members, your earthly, your earthly body as dead. What does that mean? Well, th- are we willing to be distracted from our pursuit of Christ? So that's what those things are. Those things are, are, are sinful things. How do I consider my members dead to sin? Consider things, consider the things of your own life. Men, brothers, do your eyes wander? Sisters, the same, do your eyes wander? What, what idols do you have in your life? What things do you have that come between you and Christ, our Lord and King? Children, do you seek after Christ? We need to not allow anything to distract us from our pursuit of Christ. We need to be willing to cut down anything and everything that would distract us from Christ, no matter what. Why? Verse 6 and 7. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the, the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. You have died to those things. We need to execute those things in our life that would take us from our Lord. We have been crucified to this world. And we ought not to walk in the ways of this world because this world's perishing. Verses 8 through 11. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practice, and have put on the new self who is being renewed in a, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, But Christ is all and in all. We are to cut down the sins of our former life. John Owen shares an example of how this looks by giving the illustration of a garden. You have a garden that is overgrown with weeds. The weeds represent the sin and the filth that occupy your life and the the old life. Well, what do you do? Do you cut off the tops of them and plant seed? Or do you, what do you do? You rip them up by the root. You got to take the axe to the root of all this stuff. But that's not the only thing you do. You can't just take up the bad weeds. You also have to plant good crops. And then occasionally after you've planted good crops, you have to weed. What does that really look like? 
Well, tearing up the weeds. Consider this. For all you who struggle with wandering eye, what are you willing to do to stop that? Do your eyes wander on the internet? Are you willing to destroy your computer? Take it out back and light it on fire? That's something I've done. I've taken my laptop and went out back, put it into a wheelbarrow and lit it on fire. <clears throat> That's why I used the example. I felt funny after standing there watching it, but I think that was because the smoke was blowing in my face, all that plastic. <clears throat> So, are you willing to drive a half hour or more out of your way to avoid that billboard coming home or going to work? To avoid that illicit club? Just to not have it be part of your mind? Where I used to live in Beaver Falls, there was one on each end of the... It makes it really hard to decide to go around if, if, you're gonna, if that's what you struggle with. Are you willing to King Josiah anything in your life for Christ? Today it's hip to make nouns, verbs, you know, like the whole woke, I'm woke. That's, But <clears throat> King Josiah cut down the high places and, reform, and, and did reform for Israel. And so that's, that's why I'm using it. He's one of my heroes. If I had a son, his name would be Josiah. What about Job? Job 31.1. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? What about the Sabbath? Are you willing to push back at your boss? Are you willing to quit your job? Who do you owe more allegiance to? God or your boss? What about possessions? What are you willing to give away to follow Christ? Think of the, uh, the story of the rich man in the Gospels. He sits there and talks about how I, I've, I've kept the law. You know, I, I've, I haven't murdered anyone. I've given a tithe. I've done, I've done all the things that I need to do, Lord. Well, sell all your possessions and follow me. Now, that's not a general rule for all of us that we all have to sell our property and become totally impoverished. That's not what he's talking about there. What he's talking about is, is that this guy really isn't keeping the law, and he's not willing to give up everything for Christ. If Christ were to come here right now and tell you, you must give up this to follow me, he is our captain. We've got to follow him. We need to do what he asks us to do. Burn it to the ground if we have to. That's what my wife and I had to do. In order to move down here, we realized we had way too much stuff. And we were very materialistic. Do you know how many times we went to the uh, Goodwill store to just dump our stuff? I think I took 21 boxes of books. I'm a book fiend. I love books. That was hard. But I feel called to the ministry, and so I can't take that stuff with me when I die. So I got rid of it. 
If you're not willing to give up whatever for Christ, you're in trouble. Because that's what Christ calls. Christ calls, like, Christ, Dr. McGraw has this saying that, and I think he got it from a Puritan, but uh, Christ doesn't demand anything less than sin demands of you. If you're a slave to sin, sin has your whole life. So anything that you have that will keep you from Christ, that thing really owns you. Cut it down. And if you struggle with it, talk to your elders. Talk to your pastors. Get rid of it. Follow Christ. So we've been talking about the bad stuff. What about the good stuff? So we've talked about cutting down the bad things in our life. We've talked about keeping Christ at the forefront. Well, what are things that we need to do to help keep us affixed, our eyes affixed? Well, we need to keep our eyes directed towards Christ. And we need to keep in the back of our mind verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Paul also shares another, thing, another statement that's very similar to this. Uh, it's the proof text of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one. Uh, whether, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, ways of keeping your eye on the prize. Aside from tearing out all those things that are part of your old life, destroying them, getting, doing whatever you need to do. And brothers and sisters, you need to do whatever you need to do. Some of the things, the means of grace. Prayer. If you're not praying, and I struggle with it, I, I understand, and and Andrew Dion this morning preached on it and talked about how pathetic I was, and I fully acknowledge that. But we need to pray. If we're not praying, do you have to be reminded to eat? No. Well, prayer is just as vital for your spiritual life as food is for your, your body. Scripture reading, same thing. We need to keep our head in the word. If we're not doing that, something else is going to fill that void. And we are the most preached to generation. You listen to the radio, you're being preached to. And the message is usually not godly. So you need to counter that with God's word. Regularly reading his word. But not only reading it, but meditating on it. Take a couple of scriptures, meditate on it, and think on it. Pray on it. How does this apply? What is this telling me about God? What is this telling me about man? Myself. And then regular fellowship. We need to get together. If you pull a stick out of a fire, it's going to go out. Together, we generate tons of heat and tons of light. Hopefully more light than heat. But So in conclusion... Uh, the natural man lives for himself. He lives for the things of this world. And he lives for utter wickedness. And his way is leading to destruction, and that's not where we want to go. The Christian, that life has died. 
That life has been crucified to the cross. And we've been raised with Christ. So as Christians, we need to seek after and to pursue with all effort Christ's glory. Seeking to expand and defend his kingdom. And with that, I'm done for today. Pray. If you will bow your heads. Dear Lord, thank you for this Lord's Day. A day in which we can rest and have fellowship together. Have fellowship with you. I pray that uh, the words of my mouth honored you. And that your church was edified. And I pray that we leave here today. Going out into the world. Remembering that we are to seek you. To pursue you. And to do all things. In the name of Christ. In the, in, for his glory. I pray all this in the name of your son. Jesus. Our king and God. Amen.